Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Jessie Mae. This is the Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. How are you? Another day, another dollar. How you living? How you loving? How you learning? Are you, are you surviving? I'm doing well despite having had the most difficult months of my life, but we're here. This episode I'm super excited about, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Get your notepad ready to take some notes, but some good notes, not like boring notes in high school or things that stress you out. These are like notes that will help you improve your life. And speaking of improving your life, I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors and really something that I've been enjoying for a couple years now, Mud Water which is my alternative to coffee. I can't handle coffee. I can't handle it. It makes me jittery. Makes me stressed out. Makes me like wide awake at 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh God, what if gravity just goes away? What if gravity goes away? And what if my career goes away? My career could go away. My career and gravity. Like I'm not going to be able to survive the night. And I keep my eyes open all night long sometimes when I've had cups of coffee because it just stresses me the fudge out. That's right. I said the fudge because I'm used to being around children. And although I don't censor myself when I'm with them, I do that when I'm not with them so that maybe I'll start to do it when I'm with them. Never works. Anyways, the point of the story is sometimes you just get stressed the fuck out. And you need an alternative. This is a great alternative. Mud water is what I drink every morning. It's got a bunch of adaptogens in it. Adaptogens are herbs and minerals thought to help you, your body deal with stress and manage stress a little bit better, like mushrooms, like lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, chaga. It also tastes really good. There's cacao, cinnamon, turmeric, a little Himalayan salt. Himalayan salt! Ooh, throw some salt on your wound. It's super delicious. I highly recommend it, especially for somebody like me who has coffee jitters. This is me. I don't know, five o'clock at night, I had half a cup of coffee and I'm like, (laughs) I haven't taken a breath since I started recording. It's a real thing. I had a half a cup this morning because I had to get up super early because Chaplin's tooth flew out on Friday night and I had to bring him to the fucking vet. That's my story. But the point of the matter is go to mudwater.com forward slash sharp tongue. We are giving 15% away of your entire order of mud water, whatever you want to get. I recommend the frother. I recommend the MCT oil that they have, the coconut powder. It's great. Get a tin. All of it goes together wonderfully. 15% off your entire order using code SHARPTONGUE, S-H-A-R-P-T-O-N-G-U-E. I think I spelled it right. Use code SHARPTONGUE to get 15% off your entire order at mudwater.com forward slash sharptongue. You can also find it at mudwater.com, but Go to mudwater.com, M-U-D-W-T-R. We don't have any times for A's and E's in this shit. We're getting stuff done. And as always, check out my YouTube page. I'm putting videos up. I appreciate your patience. I have not posted a lot of videos as of late. This entire month has been a whole fuckery of rash decision-making that we've had to make because of my mother's health 
She's been in the ICU for four weeks. So because of that, I haven't been able to output a lot of content. I am starting slowly to get back to it. As you guys can see these past couple podcast episodes, really I'm thoroughly enjoying it or able to enjoy it more now because my mother is doing a little bit better. Thankful and grateful for all of the thoughts and prayers that you guys have sent my way and the amazing staff at Krauss Irving Memorial Hospital in Syracuse, New York. Their ICU staff is, uh, they're so wonderful, it makes me want to cry. The care, the level of care that my mother has gotten, the amount of love and effort and, and just consideration on the ICU staff's part is is above and beyond. So if you ever get hurt, make sure it's in Syracuse and go to the Kraus ICU. <laughs> Tell Dr. Landsberg I sent you. I have not posted a lot, so there will be more things up on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash Jesse May Peluso. Please support, subscribe. I appreciate you. Our Weeds Day every Wednesday to raise awareness for Alzheimer's. It's been touch and go this past month because of what I've said, but we will be doing it this week. That's going to be on my IG story and also on Facebook and YouTube at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, sorry, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. Every Wednesday, we'll be there smoking a little bit of the herb, raising some awareness for Alzheimer's, and just kicking it and acting like fools. Acting like complete fools. And also, uh, speaking of acting like fools, you can book me on Cameo to send you a custom video. I'm a video hoe. I always wanted to be a video hoe, but now I'm doing it on Cameo. Go to the Cameo app, C-A-M-E-O. You can find a whole bunch of celebrities, athletes, and different TV personalities. I will make you a custom video. It's it's all the things I can do right now in, in the interim of this pandemic and waiting to be able to go back out on stage. So thank you guys again. Your support truly has gotten me through the most difficult times of my life. And this is no exception you guys have been with me. I mean, the first podcast was with my dad. And you guys have, this this whole podcast has been such a journey and a journal of my life. And um, you've, you've been with me through me losing him. And, uh, you know, this whole process with my mother feels like I'm in Groundhog's Day. So I'm truly grateful for your listenership, your support, and you keeping up with me and coming back each week to listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. If you feel like leaving us a rate or review on the iTunes app, please do. I love hearing from you. Even if it's a not so good one, you know, I appreciate it. I can be open to constructive criticism. I can be open at it. You know, just don't tell me I laugh at myself too much because sometimes people do that to get through tough times. Okay. So speaking of getting through tough times, this doctor seemingly has a lot of the answers to your mental problems. And he, he really breaks the mold when it comes to traditional psychiatry. He has multiple books on the New York Times bestseller list. He has been studying and practicing psychiatry for over 40 years. We talked about a lot of stuff, and I even got to talk to him about marijuana and be like, you know, what's going on with the marijuana and mental health? What's the correlation between marijuana and brain health? We, we covered a lot. And the, an hour wasn't enough, but I will get him back on because he is just a, 
a treasure chest of information and knowledge pertaining to brain health. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode with psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel Amen. Thank you very much. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary. A deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. you probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. Hey everybody, another week of the Sharp Tongue Podcast. Even through my own trials and tribulations, I have to push forward and continue and put creativity out there and and make myself feel like I am contributing. So this is a really exciting episode for me. You guys know how much I talk about brain health ever since losing my dad in 2018 to Alzheimer's disease. It really um, pushed me to live a healthier life and learn a little bit about this brain that controls everything I think, do, and feel. So this episode is very, very exciting for me. I am going to be talking with a man who has been a psychiatrist for 40 years, which judging by his photos and how he looks seems impossible because he looks so youthful, but we're going to learn all about that. He's also a multiple New York Times bestselling author and just a really interesting dude. And I'm excited to have him on the podcast. I don't know if he's been called dude this many times, but he's going to get used to it. Please welcome Dr. Daniel Amen. Hi. What a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And everybody who's watching this podcast is going to be able to tell like how nervous I am to be talking to you. <laughs> this is really cool. Um, I First, I'm blown away by something that I never considered in psychiatry. I've never seen a psychiatrist, but just in the field of psychiatry, the limit or lack of actually looking into the physical organ. Yeah, it's sort of insane when you think about it. Psychiatrists are the only medical doctors who virtually never look at the organ they treat. And because of it, they come up with all these crazy ideas and you can hurt people. I decided to be a psychiatrist when I was a second year medical student and someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her. That ultimately it would help her children and even her grandchildren is they would be shaped by someone who is happier and more stable. But I fell in love with the only medical specialty that never looks at the organ it treats And I knew it was wrong and I knew it would change. I just had no idea I'd be part of the change. A Uh, huge part of the change. You, 87,000 scans that you've done. Is that a a close number? Actually, it's 160,000. One of my most popular TED Talks was the most important lesson from 
83,000 scans. Um, but that was in 2013. So since then, we've doubled the number of scans we've done. And they've just taught us so many important things. Like, let's stop calling these things mental illnesses yes. because they're not. They're brain health issues. And, you know, no one wants, and I've hated the term for 40 years because it stigmatizes people. It shames them. And it's wrong. These are brain health issues that steal your mind. And if we can just get this one idea, it radically changes everything. You talked about your dad who had Alzheimer's disease. Well, most people don't know Alzheimer's disease is a lifestyle disease. Right. That if you're not physically healthy, your brain is an organ, just like your heart is an organ, uh, or your liver, your skin, they're all organs. If your brain's not healthy, then it's not going to do healthy things like remember um, the important people in your life or make good decisions. And I just published a study on 35,000 scans that showed as people's weight went up, the function of their brain went down. And I published it in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and the editor in chief, um, said really nice things about my research, but he mostly said, this goes to show that Alzheimer's disease is a lifestyle disease. And if we don't get our lives right, we're gonna to continue to lose our minds. And when you talk about lifestyle, what does that encapsulate to you? Um, so in my books, I have a new book called The End of Mental Illness. And I talk really clearly you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place. You have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And it's really my Alzheimer's prevention program, but it means you got to get your diet right. You need to exercise. You need to stop eating bad food, eat foods that are good for you. Alcohol is not a health food. And Basically, you know, I can summarize brain health in three words. I horrified myself when I figured out, oh, it's three <laughs> words. Word number one is care. Uh, and I love is Kale? You are care. Oh, I, think um, so. I was like, I love kale. <laughs> no, no. Well, kale is good, right? Um, kale is one of those foods that you <laughs> love that loves you back. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship, but oh, I've been, been in bad one, Doc. <laughs> but I've been in bad relationships, and I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm just not, and and I'm damn sure not doing it with food, right? I am only going to love food that loves me back. But anyway, so those three words: care, C-A-R-E. Um, when I started looking at the brain. Um, I scanned myself and then I scanned my 60 year old mother who had a better looking brain than I did. At the, and how old were you at the time? 37. And I was horrified, oh. but it fit her life. She has seven children, 50 grandchildren, great grandchildren. She knows everybody's birthday, everybody's uh, name. She's everybody's best friend. I mean, she's just the most consistently reliable person on the planet. 
but my brain sort of looked like crap because I played football in high school. Mm. And I had meningitis when I was a young soldier. But 30 years later, my brain's fuller, fatter, healthier because I do the things I tell my patients to do. And so I came up with this term, brain envy. I wanted my mother's brain. And I always <laughs> say, Freud. You sound like a zombie. <laughs> but I say Freud was wrong. Penis envy is not the cause of anybody's problem. I've not seen it once in 40 years. Uh, it's it happens envy. between girlfriends. Like if we, you know, because we do send photos and sometimes we're envious of our girlfriend's man. We're like, okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, I've not seen it as a problem. But I, <laughs> very few people love and care for their brains. I'm so happy you do. I mean, it's going to make a significant difference through the rest of your life. Um, and then the second word is stop doing anything that hurts your brain. Mm, and you just, have to know, one. you just have to know the list. And the more you love yourself, the more you will stop doing things that damage you, right? Because ultimately it's not because you should do it. It's because you love yourself. And I love what Drew Carey said. Drew Carey lost a lot of weight. He did. And he said, eating crappy food isn't a reward. It's a punishment. And once you get your mind right, you totally understand what he's saying. Doing the right things is about love. And doing the wrong things is really about bad decision-making and disdain for yourself. And so what, even- What about like balance? What about like people who say, yeah, but I want a cheeseburger once a week or a cheat day, or I like ice cream. I just, how bad could it be? What about, what do people do in, in that sense? Yeah, no, a lot of people go, well, everything in moderation. Right. Which is the gateway thought to health. <laughs> well, I'm screwed. <laughs> because then everything's moderation, right? Everything in moderation is just an excuse to cheat. So and everything in moderation gives you a moderate brain, essentially. Maybe even less than. Well, it'll give you a fast food brain or an ice cream brain. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it is it's such a um it's such a balance. You know, I learned a lot just within the year of my father being sick, it was a very quick year. We got the cliff notes of the disease. He was diagnosed in 2017 and then he was gone in 2018. And it was just, you know, us Googling and reading and trying to catch up with the progression of the, the disease. But posthumously for me, it was the most important aspect of my life. It was the, it was the most important defining moment for me to go, what am I doing to contribute to lessening the quality of my life down the road? Because I think we live in this culture where everything is just so immediate, immediate instant gratification that we don't really think or have the willpower to put in the effort to get that quality because it is possible. And I was thinking as you were talking about Drew, Drew Carey, once you stop eating a certain way and start living a certain way, it's almost like your body acclimates and it it craves it. Like I crave healthy foods. I also crave mac and cheese. So I'm, I'm you know, that's why I'm like, I need to call, I need to get Doc on the line. 
I need to get Doc on the line, <laughs> you know, because there there is still that aspect where there's this like tug and pull between my former self and my current self of wanting to get healthier and and really learning what's going on in here and how much am I how much of what I'm doing is contributing to the degradation that's going on. That's what what I think a lot of people are curious about. And the the one question I thought of as you were talking, how much, it might be difficult to answer, how much physical effects are really causing the emotional effects within psychiatry? Like how much correlation between tumors and, and brain damage and actual physical um, harm is can cause those emotional things? Well, so let me tell you about a study from Australia they looked at two outer islands. One had fast food restaurants, the other didn't. And they looked at the level of omega-3 fatty acids in their blood. And omega-3s are so important. They make up about 25% of brain cell membranes. And the island with fast food restaurants, the people had significantly low levels of omega-3 fatty acids in their blood and five times the level of depression. It's I mean, food. you can't not make that correlation. It's the food. Or there's a study from the Mayo Clinic where they looked at people who had a fat-based diet. So think avocados, nuts and seeds, fish, healthy oils. All my favorite foods. 42% less risk of Alzheimer's disease. <sighs> then they looked at people at a protein-based diet. So think me, 21% um, less risk of Alzheimer's disease. And then they looked at people who had a simple carbohydrate-based diet. Think bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, fruit juice, sugar. A 400% increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. And you know the devastation of Alzheimer's disease, if food can either help you prevent it or accelerate it, well, you have a choice. Yes. And so you might love mac and cheese. I love, I love, Rocky, I love Rocky Road ice cream. I oh. love fudge. My grandfather was a candy maker and I was named after him and he was my best friend. And, you know, I love him. I don't want to be sick that I love my mission, I love my grandchildren, that there's just not one thing as important uh, as my health. And so, you know, I can break up with Rocky Road ice cream because, you know, once you start eating it, it's hard to stop. And it's actually engineered to be addictive. Yeah, and it's just- <laughs> was all out there with bet you can't eat just one because <laughs> totally you know and you know think of coca-cola's big lie open happiness right i mean it's a lie because it increases depression when you increase inflammation and cancer and obesity and diabetes it's not opening happiness it's opening illness um but you know we fooled the population into believing short-term um, pleasure 
is where it's at. And I want to feel good now, right? I only eat foods I love that love me back. What do you eat to enjoy? Like, is there something, is there any cheating at all? Do you have like a, I just imagine there's like a, a whole drawer full of Snickers bars in, in your desk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always tell people make one decision, not 30. And so if you don't buy it at the store, you don't have to fight with your ego at home. Um, so make one decision, not 30. Um, I love frozen blueberries. So I have <laughs> I have a cup of frozen blueberries every day. You're uh, an inspiration. Oh, frozen blueberries. I put those right in my margarita. I <laughs> <laughs> you know, you um, you made an interesting comment and it might be backpedaling a little bit, but I, I just want to know your opinion on it. You mentioned that you think neuroscience, specifically psychiatry, your field has been sort of stuck. And I just wondered, what do you equate that to? Because we did start this conversation talking about the physical brain. Is it because of the limitations of technology that have existed prior to this era? Um, psychiatry and neurology got divorced <laughs> about 100 years ago. And it was a really bad divorce. And neurology got the brain and psychiatry got the mind. Mm -hmm. And psychiatry lost because ultimately schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, ADHD, addictions, or brain diseases. And, you know, you can skid on the psychiatrist's couch for as long as you can, but if you don't fix their brain, you're not fixing their life. So I think of it often like hardware, the actual physical functioning of your brain. And software, yes, you have to program it, right? And there's social connections or network connections. And ultimately you have to talk to people about why they want to be healthy. Why do you care? Um, but it's not been part of our training or tradition. And when I started looking at the brain, it completely made the way psychiatrists diagnose people stupid. <laughs> and that giving someone the diagnosis of depression is exactly like giving them the diagnosis of chest pain. It's a symptom that has many different causes and just making diagnoses based on the symptom clusters is dumb because, you know, we've done huge studies and say that medications like Prozac work no better than placebo unless they're the most severely depressed. Right. So um, we need a new model. And if you think about it, most psychiatrists today or family practice doctors, because they do way more psychiatry than psychiatrists do, um, they make diagnoses like they did in 1840 when Lincoln was depressed. So I love Lincoln because he failed repeatedly and then he became a wild success. Um, but he suffered with depression, actually bad depression, suicidal depression. And in the winter of 1840, when he's really depressed, he went to his doctor and how did his doctor diagnose him with melancholia, which is depression? Is he talked to him? He looked at him. He looked for symptom clusters. And then he treated him, which is exactly what happens now 100 and, I don't know, 80 years later or something. It's crazy. It is crazy. And we should do better. So if you came to our clinic, one of the first things we do, of course, we talk to you. If. But you look at your brain. I'm outside the door now. <laughs> 
if your brain's not right, let's fix that first. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of reasons people struggle with depression. Like maybe they had a head injury. I, had a, I saw a guy recently, in fact, Stephen Hilton posted his scans with me. Um, and he he's just this wonderful musician. He's worked on Transformers and a whole bunch of really great movies, but struggled with depression since he was a child. And I looked oh, at his so brain. Sad. And his brain clearly was a traumatic brain injury brain. And I'm like, so when did you have a brain injury? And he was three years old. He said it's the whole family lore that he fell down a flight of stairs when he was a child. And he was never quite right after that. And then getting on the program to repair his brain, his mood's better. It's, I believe it. It's, you know the fact that you're actually able to get in there and look and see an injury, you're just like, well, that's what's going on. And, you know, I talk about people's why you have a really strong why for your drive to fix people with your, your godson. Who's your, who's your nephew? My nephew. Right. Uh, that story. I just was like bawling watching your talk about that. And could you talk about that briefly? So I started imaging in 1991 and I was so excited. You know, we're going to change this field to make it more medical, more modern. But as, as I did it, I got no end of grief from my colleagues and they'd call me bad names. And, um, and it made me feel off because most people want to be part of the group. Right. You know, human nature because the group protects you. And now my group hated me. <laughs> it was, it was very unsettling for me because, you know, I had, I don't have these anymore, but I used to have these two flaws. One, um, I like people to like me and, uh, I'm one of seven children and dead five sisters. And, um, I didn't like it when people didn't like me. And, and I didn't like conflict. There was way too much in my house growing up. Uh, you just described me. <laughs> and so here I am, I'm trying to do something new and people don't like me and I'm in the middle of a fight. And then in the April of 1995, I got a call late one night from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me my nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, who's my godson, so we are very close, attacks a little girl on the baseball field for no particular reason. Out of the blue, and I'm horrified. And I'm like, Sherry, what else is going on with him? And she said, Danny, he's different. He's mean. He doesn't smile anymore. I went into his picture. I went into his room and found two pictures he had drawn. One of them, he was hanging from a tree oh. in a suicide attempt. The other picture, he's shooting other children. Oh my lord! I, I mean, how do you? What did you? What did you honestly think in that moment when you saw that? What was your first thought? He had a left temporal lobe problem because I. That's been what you thought. People, I thought something's the matter with this kid's left temporal lobe because it's often associated with violence. And so I had her bring him to see me the next day. They lived eight hours from me. I'm like, put him in the car. Um, we're gonna uh, scan. We're gonna scan this kid. 
if you don't look, you don't know. Right. And uh, when we scanned him, he was actually missing the function of his left temporal lobe. Turned out he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying that space. And when the neurosurgeon, it took me a long time to find someone to actually take this seriously. And the neurosurgeon at UCLA, when he drained the cyst, his behavior completely went back to normal. And he said, if I wouldn't have pushed to get the surgery done, Andrew would have been dead in six months. And it was that moment, I just didn't care anymore if you liked me. And I was ready for the fight. I mean, that's such a, that's something that traditional psychiatry would never catch. It would absolutely never catch. He would be put on drugs that are just giving him side effects and symptoms. And, and he continue to, like you said, get worse and eventually die. And is there a way to put a percentage on what amount of people have, like how many people actually have like brain injuries that are causing psychiatric results? Yeah, it's about 40%. It's horrifying. And they actually did a study. So undiagnosed brain injuries are a major cause of homelessness. So wow. 58% of the homeless men, this is a study from Toronto, and 42% of the homeless women had a significant brain injury before they were homeless. It's associated with substance abuse, depression, ADHD, uh, suicide, panic attacks, and nobody knows. Like this thing with Stephen that I told you about, um, he'd been to psychiatrists, he'd been on medication, he tried to get well. And the problem was when you try to get well and you don't, it demoralizes. Right. And Especially so, like you said, with the way it's even, the terminology alone and just the stigma that is surrounding it, it's, it's, like, it's like a lost cause. Right. But if you see it not as your mind, which you think of as your soul, but it's my brain, then you can be better. I'm in a new docu-series with Justin Bieber. I've been Justin's doctor for many years. And, you know, and, like, and Miley's. I'm a huge Miley fan. And, yeah, I love Miley, too. <laughs> um, but Justin, you know, like all the young superstars I see, sometimes they'll do what I ask them to do, and a lot of times they won't. <laughs> and, um, but Justin came into my office, and he was really struggling. And he got it. He said to me, he said, I get it. My brain is an organ like my heart is an organ. Right. He told me I had heart problems. I'd do anything you said. Now I'm going to start doing everything you said. And he got better. And, and I'm so proud of him. But we need to stop calling these things mental illness. Right. Because the cause, is, I mean, if 40% of the cause is physical, it's a totally different ball game. It's a totally well, different ball game. And, with and that's your heart injury, right? There's also infectious disease causes of mental health issues. There's toxins like uh, mold exposure. I'm in a movie called Moldy um, because Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof uh, Coffee, uh, came to me. His brain looked like crap. Uh, really? Wait, oh, when was this before crap. Bulletproof? Because I go to his labs in, in Santa Monica. Before. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, way before. This is like 14 years ago. I have his brain before and after. 
And he's like, why does my brain look like crap? And it turned out he had mold. And so did you have a flood in your house? Are you living in an old building? Um, could mold be contributing to your anxiety? And so there are all these causes. And so in the end of mental illness, bright minds is a mnemonic. And that helps us know, is it blood flow, retirement and aging, inflammation, genetics, head trauma, toxins, um, you know, all these things. You know, if you don't sleep right, it's a major cause of mental health issues. And now all the blue light coming into our eyes keeps us up. We're addicted to the gadgets. Um, it's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. And it, it's, you know, I was just thinking all of the things you need to implement into your life to sort of start to get on this path where you really, for me, I feel so much clearer and I'm able to manage stressful times better. I'm able to, I, I find myself slowing down these days and processing things slower, but clearer, not slower in the sense where I'm processing them slow. I'm actually taking my time and I have less anxiety because normally I make these rash decisions and I'm this hyperactive person. And I found out from taking your, your brain quiz on your website that I'm, wait, I'm going to, just from a little bit of conversation that we've had, can you guess what brain type I am off of your quiz? Well, two is the first one that comes to mind. I'm a two. I'm a two. And it, the description, I'm like, that's me. That's who I am. I'm creative. And focus is the hardest thing for me. Not when I'm podcasting, because I actually, this is enjoyable and I'm curious and all of that. But in general, focus has been my entire life, the bane of my existence. And I'm a very smart person. When I apply myself, you know, I, I was able to get through high school with almost A's, but that was me just cramming it in at the last minute. Is there something that is a consistent cause of a lack of focus with someone like me that you can just you know, sort of blindly diagnose over this podcast? Well, there could be all sorts of reasons. Uh, Did my mom push me down a flight of stairs when I was a kid is what I'm asking you. That would be <laughs> one. Or, you know, you come from people who are spontaneous and creative and distracted. Uh, so, you know, you look at genes because that's very important. And then you look at, well, how healthy were your mom and dad before they had you? Because that sort of matters. And how healthy was your mom when she uh, hatched you? Uh, she was smoking about a pack a day, Doc. And I think there were a couple of wine coolers mixing around in there. She drinks wine from the box now, but they were definitely bottled back then. Yeah. And that totally could have impacted your brain. And so if your dad had Alzheimer's disease and when you were being developed, your mom was poisoning you. It's like- <laughs> She was. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's like, you're right. It was like Munchausen by boxed wine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the brain is so cool. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Every day, your brain makes 700 new baby hippocampal cells. And the hippocampus is Greek for seahorse because the cells 
the part of your brain looks like a seahorse. And every day you're either growing those baby seahorses and making them big, or you're murdering them with your behavior. Your alcohol, your... Marijuana, bad food, not sleeping, hanging out with stressful guys, um, (laughs) all of those things. And it comes down to one question. So if you can just write this question down, is this good for my brain or bad for it? You know, ever it, since I heard you say that, I, just w- one of the first times that I discovered you, I find myself, and it takes it's habitual, you have to get used to it and create the new routine, the new pattern of, you know, the behavior. But I do that sometimes, and only when it's something where the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like subconsciously, I know it's not good for me, and my brain's like, hey, uh, do you need this pumpkin pie right before bed? No, I don't. But I'm still, you know, I'm like I said, I, I'm still trying to manage the, you know, everything in moderation lifestyle. I'm at the point where I just took two bites of the pumpkin pie instead of eating the whole slice. So I think that's well, a upgrade. Right. And, and I didn't get to be as good as I am now like overnight, right? Right. I mean, it was a process, but when I read a study from the University of Pittsburgh that said, as your weight goes up, the size of your brain goes down, I went, holy shit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm gonna lose. Cause I'd like tried to lose the extra 20 or 30 pounds my whole adult life. Cause I come from a family of fat people. <laughs> That's an opening line for a book, Doc. That's your memoir. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this, uh, you know. And then I, I just it worked because I don't I don't want to have a smaller brain, right? You just have to find your motivation. Yes. And, and your dad gave you great motivation because you don't want to lose your brain. No. In the, in the meantime, so this is not just something. How old are you? I'm 30. Eight. I just turned 38. I had to think about it. I just turned 38, September 16th. Yeah. So even though this, you're trying to prevent something 40 years down the line, um, guess what? If you do it now, your decisions will be better. Right. Your, your energy will be better. Your career will be better right. because you make better decisions. And so when your brain is right, your relationships are better. Your money is better because you make better decisions. Your health is better. And so you really have to like get into, this is not about deprivation. Mm. That when I make the wrong choices, I'm depriving me of what I really want. Wow. I want energy. I want good decisions. I want to be the leader of my family. And I damn sure don't want to be um, dependent on someone else. I want to be in charge of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I know a lot, some of the people listening have had to have talks with their parents about, you know, you really shouldn't be driving and you really yes. should think about putting you in a home. And I, quite frankly, I don't want my children to have that talk with me. But the only way that's going to happen is if I make decisions now. And so it's a benefit now to you, energy, memory, better decisions, and later. And that's ultimately where you always want to be, 
does this help me feel good now and later? And so I have a company called BrainMD where we make um, supplements for the brain. But I was going to ask make, you about supplements. That's great. We also make chocolate. And uh, fudge? <laughs> not fudge, but we make something called Brain on Joy. So think of a Hershey bar, but it has no sugar and no dairy. Tastes great. Nine grams of fiber. And we make a chocolate coconut bar. So Almond Joys used to always be one of my favorite. And, but again, and coconut is great for the brain. MCT oil. The MCT Multi-chain triglyceride. Very good. And <laughs> um, it, so there is no suffering. It's just, right. you already have habits, right? And do the habits serve you or do they hurt you? Right. Do the habits help you wake up a hundred percent every morning or do they make you feel hungover, right? It's mm. just, what What do you want? Yeah. Does your behavior get you what you want? So I have a book coming out in March called Your Brain is Always Listening. Um, do you sleep? How do you sleep with all these books and clinics and candy bars, not candy, chocolate supplement bars? <laughs> How do you sleep? Well, I just have a lot of energy because I do the right things and I have a good team. That's great. Uh, but in it, there's sort of a new approach to addiction that everybody goes, oh, you know, AA step one, you have to admit your life is out of control. And I'm like, no, that's step two. Step one is, well, what the heck do you want? Mm. What do you want? Relationships, work, money, physical, emotional, spiritual health. What do you want? I mean, really sit with that. And then ask yourself, is my behavior getting me what I want? So it's not what you should want, right? I mean, you don't want what I want, but what do you want? And then is my behavior getting me what I want? And that's really mental health. You know what you want, and then you can act in a way that's consistent with what you want. I treated this sex addict once, and I just dearly loved him. Um, <laughs> I taught him these two words, then what, <laughs> you know, if I do this, yeah. then what happens? You know, if I do this, I'm going to get divorced or I met him actually when we did the Dr. Phil show and his wife had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> if I do this, I might die. Uh, you know, what I feel like the only way to get on the Dr. Phil show is if you have a gun or a baby. So it sounds like pretty par for the course. <laughs> you can't do anything with the gun. <laughs> <laughs> So then what? But but you have to know what what you want. People don't ask that question enough. You know, we're we're we live so fast. I mean, I obviously I'm speaking from my own perspective, but that question is such an important question that sh you should start the day that way. You know, um, I also have read, and this is something I've implemented into my life. Journaling your thoughts is is such a great way to sort of filter out a lot of that fogginess that I wake up with in the morning sometimes, you know, these like weird, doubtful, just loud, rude, just this rude bitch who's just in my ear. And I'm like, who, <laughs> you don't, why are you here? Like it's 6am. Let me you have know, some the reason coffee. She's there is if you already have a sleepy brain. So type twos usually have sleepy frontal lobes. What does that mean? Yeah. It means a little bit less blood flow. 
to the front part of your brain. And, and when you just wake up, your brain's even sleepier than it normally is. And if you just get up and go do something, you'll shut her up. But what I do every morning, and it helps me so much, is I say to myself, as soon as my feet hit the floor, today is going to be a great day. Mm. And then my unconscious mind finds why it's going to be a great day. And, and we have three kids in the house here with us. And we do that at breakfast. Today's going to be a great day. Why is today going to be a great day for you? And then before I go to bed at night, I say a prayer. And then I go, what went well today? And I put myself to sleep every mm. night. And it's habitual, right? We all have habits. Yeah. Do they serve you or do they hurt you? And my dad died in May. And oh, I'm so sorry. It was it was a really sad, hard day. But I, when I went to bed that night, because it's my habit, I went, what went well today? And initially, my brain's like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <And then, laughs> And then I just I thought about there was an interaction between my mom and the police officer because he died at home. And it was so sweet and so tender and so funny because, you know, they had to investigate the death. And she's like, do you think I have a boyfriend? <laughs> it was just it was so sweet. And then, you know, I thought about that and I thought about the hundreds of texts I got from my friends and his friends. And even, cause we live in a dark time, right? I mean, yeah, with yeah. the pandemic, the societal unrest, the political nonsense, we live in a stressful time, but where you bring your attention will determine how you feel. So you can focus on what's awesome or you can focus on what's awful. And one will help you feel awesome and the other one will help you feel awesome. And you have a choice. Yes. This is one of the major decisions that you can make every day. Yes. You know, Am I going to focus on what I love about my life or what I hate about my life? And it's training that you have to train your mind. And people think of discipline as a bad thing. But, you know, you either, you know, it's either hard, the discipline of doing the right thing or the punishment of, you know, the chronic long-term early death punishment of doing the wrong things. It is such an um, interesting thing that happens, though, ever since I started to eat healthier. And I've always enjoyed healthy foods and, and getting that much more healthier wasn't too much of a leap for me. But the interesting thing to me is when you start to leave out foods that aren't good for you and then reintroduce them into your life, you notice their effect on you. Right. And it's almost, I started to keep like a journal of what I was eating and saw the link between what I ate the day before and the mood I woke up with. And it's, you're literally like, I just ate myself into anger. <laughs> I just ate myself into depression. I just, and so it's interesting once you see that and, and like what you're referring to is like having that sort of thought in your mind, I'm going to wake up, you know, today's going to be a good day. Those thoughts have entered my mind. 
when the previous day I ate clean and I had a good day of, you know, meditation and movement and creating and contributing and, and all those different things that sort of, you know, make up a, a good day. It's just really cool to see that. And, and w- one of the reasons why I was so drawn to speak with you is because I want to further my education and also educate the public on this because it's not something that is necessarily readily available because of the history of the field. And, you know, I'm, I Googled spec. Okay. I'm going to see if I can, if I can say this properly, single photon emission computed tomography. Good job. Yes. Is that the main scan that you use? We do too, but spec is the big one because it gives us this 3D look at blood flow and activity in the brain. And yeah, I love spec. What's the first thing you, when you take a scan, what is the first thing you're drawn to? What's the first thing that you're looking for? Is it healthy or not? Um, Does it work too hard or not hard enough? Is there emotional trauma? Is there physical trauma? Trauma. I published a study on 21,000 people, and I can see the difference between emotional trauma, your emotional or limbic brain is just on fireworks too hard, or physical trauma where you can see damage to certain parts of the brain. And how do those do those things correlate a lot? The physical trauma, the physical trauma versus the emotional trauma. Although I would imagine those two things are kind of hand in hand. Well. We, we have separate groups of people who've only had physical trauma or only emotional trauma, but a lot of times there's both. So we've done a lot of work with soldiers and PTSD. So yes, they have blast injuries, but you also get emotionally traumatized when you're in a tank that's had an explosion. So they tend to go hand in hand, or if you grew up in an abusive alcoholic home, it's the chronic emotional trauma and you've probably been thrown against the wall, you know, eight, 10, 50 times. So they can go together. Um, You know, one of the interesting things the scans have taught me is it's taught me that it's easy to call people bad. Mm. It's harder to ask why. And they're very helpful for forgiveness that, you know, yeah, my dad was a real jackass. Oh. He, you know, was a Vietnam vet and had trauma. I mean, it's just, it helped me understand and helped my patients understand. Um, so they just don't hold on to the hurt mm. that when you can understand the hurt, um, it just lessens the pain. So has it, has it made you more compassionate? Did you, I would imagine you came into it pretty compassionate because of your godson, but I would imagine that you're very emotionally attached to your work at this point in your career. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of hard to separate it. <laughs> if you date any of my children, I'm in you. Right? Well, if you have, if any of your children are single and of age, I am available. <laughs> you might want to scan my brain first. Now, if you hook up with any of them, that's the next thing. My youngest, who's 17, um, she starts dating this kid. And it's very sweet, but 
there's suicide in his family. And I'm like, you know, you haven't seen the clinic yet. It's time to do it. <laughs> Did you take her and boyfriend, Doc? It, it took me almost a year to get him into the clinic. But, you know, once he did, it was so helpful. And on the right supplements, his brain is better and he's better. And so I have four children and all four of their partners. <laughs> it's like the reverse. It's like where a kid comes and meets a dad. He has a shotgun. You've got a spec scan. You're like, come on, <laughs> let me check out your brain. I'm not worried. I just have to see what's going on on the inside. Right, right. Well, we have a point of contention we have to discuss, Doc. The big M in the cloud, marijuana. Talk to me. Talk to me about marijuana use and it's, its connection to deterioration or whatever you found in your work. You know, and, and I just have to start with, I have no dog in the fight, right? I don't have a marijuana company and, you know, I can just tell you what I've seen. And I've seen more brains than anybody in the history of the world. Literally. I've been smoking pot. And I published <laughs> a study on a thousand pot smokers. Every year their brain is lower compared to healthy. Every single one. Every now, there's not like what about the pituitary? What about the way you everything I see is small. It's less active. And then I published a study. It's the world's largest imaging study on sixty-two thousand four hundred and fifty-four scans, looking at how the brain ages. So from nine months to one hundred and five, and so I know the pattern of aging really well. Um, and then I looked. Well, what accelerates aging? Oh. Schizophrenia ages the brain faster than anything. Um, the next was marijuana, that marijuana prematurely aged the brain. Um, and it seemed, in our study, it was worse than alcohol and worse than smoking. What? And, um, Doc, I need to see the receipts. I need to see the receipts. I got my brush. I need to see the receipts. <laughs> oh, I can and give up cake. Think I can about give up it. cake for you. <laughs> I don't know about the blunt. Teenagers who smoke marijuana have a 450% increased risk of developing psychosis. Um, that's a bad thing. Teenagers who smoke marijuana in their 20s have a higher incidence of anxiety, depression, and suicide. Um, is it worse than alcohol? Probably not. There's way more, you know, drunk driving accidents and way more physical abuse with alcohol. But, you know, if they're both bad, why do we have to say one's worse than the other one? Um, and, and I'm not a fan. Now, some of my doctors are fans of CBD, that they use it and they find it helpful. And the CBD proponents go, oh, but it's not psychoactive. It's complete crap. Of course, it's psychoactive decreases anxiety, helps you sleep. That means it's psycho. Right, and it's doing something to the brain. And, you know, probably for a lot of people, it's fine. And I just like to see more research. And there's so many other non-toxic things that help anxiety and help you sleep. Well, why don't we start there first? And so you have to come to the clinic and, <laughs> and you have to walk. And if your brain is healthy, who cares? If your brain is not healthy, my goal is for you to develop brain envy, for you to love your brain, and then just do what's good for it. I'm willing, look, I'm willing to give up all, 
I will never look twice at Rocky Road. And I enjoy a drive down Rocky Road, Doc. Let me tell you, I, I let the windows down. I take the top off. We're enjoying the breeze down Rocky Road. But if there's just a joint in the room, I and that's the irony because a joint sometimes goes hand in hand with the cookies and the mac and cheese and all that other stuff, which is such a strange thing to make you want to do after smoking that you want to eat so much. That's one of the things that I have. But I am willing to give up the sweets if I can just hang on to a joint. That's 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 my <laughs> out of all of my endeavors to improve my brain. But I might be I, I can't even go out on a limb and say that you could change my mind, but you might be the only person on this earth that could make me walk away from a blunt. You might be. Well, it just depends how much you love your brain. You know, I would say and no better, do better. Um, and now here's here's something I'll divulge to you. I didn't smoke weed as a child, as a teenager. I, I drank here and there. Uh, I definitely had more of an alcohol thing than anything. But I basically started smoking marijuana within the past six, seven years. So after the age of 25. Yes. Which is so you're. Is that worse? No, no, it's better. It's better because your brain continues to develop as a girl until you're about 25. For guys, it's a little bit later. And so if you could not poison your brain while <laughs> it's developing, that is a better thing. And that may be why it didn't have an intense negative effect for you. But, you know, because it's legalized everywhere and I'm a fan of legalization, it's like, please don't put people who smoke marijuana in jail. That's just stupid. It's just so stupid. Yes. I'm happy you feel so that let, way. Let's not do that. But at the same time, let's not say it's good for us because it delays development and there's just nothing more important than the health and development of your brain. Right. And, and so I worry because, you know, um, Joe Biden actually got shamed in the debates by Cory Booker when Biden was like, you know, I'm not a big fan of just legalizing it everywhere. Um, and Booker, basically shamed him. He said, dude, are you high? And uh, that was just a horrifying moment for me, for someone who wanted to be thoughtful, cautious, and not just jump on the bandwagon. Oh, it's innocuous. It's like candy. Well, we already know candy is going to kill you early. Yes. Um, that, um, you know, I'm just, um, concerned but again you know I, you're just more likely to see me if you smoke marijuana than not so right in favor of it no but it is it does clarify that it's something that's a little bit more detrimental in the developmental stages as opposed to enjoying it as an adult in the morning with my coffee as i do and i still function it doesn't put me in the couch i you know i i'm a very i'm a high functioning stoner as they say even though i'm not really a stoner because i I don't like to get high, um, but is there something with 
marijuana, when people smoke marijuana, if they have a predisposition to schizophrenia or any sort of mental illness, can marijuana exacerbate those symptoms? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and it's horrible and very few people know it, but all the psychiatrists I know have seen it. And that's a very serious thing because schizophrenia does not look fun. It looks very terrifying and also hard to deal with as a loved one. It really? looks like a very hard illness to manage. Yeah, but with proper treatment, the people can do really well. And, you know, and there's so many different brain patterns for schizophrenia. It's one of the big lessons that I learned. All psychiatric disorders, bipolar disorder, depression, schizophrenia, ADHD, there are multiple things going on in the brain. And when you look, you get a better idea of what to do for people. And the first thing I want to do for all my patients, let's get your brain healthy. And odds are your mind's going to be better. And, and I'm not opposed to medicine. I'll totally give you medicine. It's just not the first and only thing I think of. That's why I'm attracted to what you do and your approach to this field that, as we know, our brain is such a mysterious world and it's, it's a universe in of itself. There was this really beautiful article in Time magazine where they equated the brain to the universe where it's very hard for us to sort of explore it and it's in its own darkness and there's all these beautiful lights and synapses shooting off and there's so much going on that we don't know that it's it's really exciting for me to learn and be able to sit with you and talk about this because it really is a new frontier for brain health, what you're doing and how you're approaching it. And I think I read somewhere that your clinics take a brain body approach to providing people with their overall brain health, which is, that's groundbreaking. Yeah. Now we look at, we always talk about these four big circles. We want to know the biology of your brain and body, the psychology or how you think and talk about killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts, the social circle, who you spend time with, and the spiritual circle, which is, well, why the heck do you care? Why do you think you're on the planet? Um, and that approach really works. I'm gonna have to run in just a minute, but yes. such a joy to talk to you. It is, honestly, this is, it's so encouraging for me to know that there are other options and just to learn different ways to approach the day. Um, so before I let you go, one thing I want to ask you to tell our listeners is maybe a few things they can do today to start to make their brain healthier. So that one question, is this good for my brain or bad for it? Ask yourself whenever you come to make a decision. And you find that when you know the answer, um, you start doing better things if you love yourself. Um, when you start the day, today is going to be a great day. Whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking. Ask yourself if it's true. Um, multiple vitamin, fish oil, vitamin D, um, all are things that help to support your brain. And when it comes to food, the more colors, natural colors, not Skittles, you <laughs> can get in your mouth, the better. So eat blue things and red things and yellow things. Uh, that just seems, and never go on a low fat diet.
because 60% of the solid weight of your brain is fat. So if someone calls you a fathead, say thank you. Delicious. <laughs> this has been such a joy. Where can people make an appointment, um, the website and anything else you wanna promote to our listeners? So amenclinics.com, amen like the last word in a prayer, clinics.com, um, or BrainMD, that's our supplement company. Um, and my new book that's out in stores now is called The End of Mental Illness because it's not mental, it's brain. This has been such a delight. I will put all the information in the description for everybody listening, links clickable, and uh, I'll even put the link for you to take the brain quiz so you can learn what brain number you are that can help you get on the fast track to brain health. Dr. Amen, you have been amazing and I hope we can talk again and I will be at your clinic as soon as possible. <laughs> Well, let me know. Such a joy to spend time with you. It really was. I can't wait for you to take a look on the inside. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be so exciting. Thank you, doctor. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.